It's Monday, October 6th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool One, Jason Moser, with a million dollar portfolio, Simon Erickson. Happy Monday, gentlemen. Howdy. Hey, Chris. Uh, we've got some tech companies in the news, we've got Bitcoin in the news. And it's never good when Bitcoin is in the news. Let's just, we'll get to that, but let's be clear. When you hear Bitcoin is in the news, it's not for good reasons. <laughs> it's, has it ever been for good reasons? I don't think so. Mm. Maybe for a short period where it spiked up, but we'll get to that. We'll also dip into the full mailbag and we will give an earnings preview because this week officially kicks off earnings season. Let's start with Hewlett Packard, which is splitting in two. There are going to be two businesses. One is the PC and printers business. The other is the corporate hardware and services business. Which one do you want a piece of, Jason? So I can't help but think that maybe, like in the room when Meg Meg Whitman maybe was was presenting this idea, if she was presenting it all, they're like, "Okay, guys, look, here's the deal: we got to split this company up into two. We're going to have like a PC and printer side of the business, and then we're going to have like you know an enterprise side of the business. I call enterprise. Yeah. You know, I think that that's probably how that <laughs> as went CEO, down. I get the first yeah. draft pick. I get to, I'm going to pick the enterprise. <laughs> I, I mean, and that, she is. That's where she's going. Right. Exactly. I mean, to, this does make sense to the extent that they're trying to. You know, shore up the operation and sort of give each side of the business its due attention and strategy that's that's needed to really guide it forward. I mean, there's no is no secret that PCs and printers division has been facing uh, some serious competitive pressures. There uh, makes perfect sense. I mean, you're seeing just sort of a race to the bottom with hardware in general. Um, I think that the enterprise side of the business is more uh, open. I think there's there are more opportunities out there. We've certainly talked a lot about just enterprise mobility management, but in just just in general, I think uh, there are more opportunities out there. Look at the tie-up with IBM and Apple, for example. Uh, so, I mean, it, it is a bit of a change from, I think, around 2011 when Whitman was not really for something like this. She was she, recently as a, quoted as, she said, a quote, being nimble is the only path to winning, unquote. So, I think she she certainly done an about-face on this. Uh, and I think the strategy does, it does make sense. I don't know that I necessarily... I'm terribly bullish on either on either entity as as separate independently run entities, but but I do think that the split up does make sense. Yeah, Simon, I think you got to give Meg Whitman a little bit of credit here for the about face because there are people. You look at the coverage today, and there are some people throwing out this uh, line she had. Uh, I don't know if it was earlier this year or it was last year, where uh, she said we're better together because this is this is an idea that has been floated before. But there are there are we know there are plenty of CEOs who, for reasons of stubbornness or for other reasons, just will stick to a strategy that is slowly losing the market share month over month. And in the case of Meg Whitman, she said, you know what? I was <laughs> I was originally against this idea. Now I think it's the path forward. Yeah, I'm with Jason on this one, definitely, Chris. I mean, HP is getting way too big. $66 billion market cap, 318,000 employees, and $112 billion of revenue. It's really hard to focus on anything like that. And I think that the, the prize in this, with with the higher margins, is the enterprise segment. You can sell an enterprise customer a server, a data storage system, and then you sell them software and financial services. Stick your customer base, much more lucrative. It's hard for me to imagine that the PC printer business is going to be anything other than, well, beyond just being a much smaller business, but just uh, almost a niche business. I mean, just yeah. as as excited as the people are who are... Because you're right. 
Simon, what was the number? 318,000 employees? That's That's a staggering number. Well, I mean, there are things that are better together. I mean, I'm thinking about chocolate and peanut butter, for example. (laughs) Sure. Maybe Walt and Jesse, something along those lines. But but these two businesses together, they don't make a lot of sense. And I think that you're right looking at the PC and the printers side of the business. That's just a tremendous – that's a tremendously difficult market. I mean, you're chasing after a lot of consumer dollars, for example, that that uh, are, are just going to really kind of the, the, the lowest bidder, more or less. I mean, it's, just, it's, it's a bit of a race to the bottom on that side. And, and I just, uh, you know, I think that they realize that. I'm sure that Meg Whitman realizes that um, in, in order to give each business its, its due, uh, you have to be able to separate them, separate the strategies, separate the capital allocation. Uh, and in this case, yeah, being together is not necessarily better. Shares of HP up around 5% this morning. It is closing in on a 52-week high. Does this interest you? Or if you're looking at this and you think, well, I'm not a shareholder, but I might be interested in that enterprise business, do you jump in now? Or do you think, you know what, I'm going to wait and see what the final business looks like? So I think I would be I would be more on the, the side of waiting. I think that what we're going to see is, is the enterprise side of the business. There's already talk of acquisitions out there, I think possibly a tie-up with EMC. This is still going to be a very big company, even separate. Um, and so for me, I, I'm not sure that there's really enough uh, to make me want to just say, oh, yeah, well, this is going to fix all the problems. Because let's be very clear. I mean, the enter- enterprise side of the business was was not exactly growing like gangbusters either. I mean, the top line there was, was falling as well. So, I mean, this isn't the magic bullet, right? This isn't the solution to all the problems. But I do think it at least gives, you know, the it gives the, the, the breadwinner, I think, the, you know, the the part of the business with the brightest future a chance to try to sort of get the strategy in place to, to figure out how to grow in, in, in probably a more attractive market opportunity. The Wall Street Journal is reporting that Yahoo is getting set to invest uh, a piece of their Alibaba billions in Snapchat. Simon, help me understand this, because the numbers I'm seeing being reported have Yahoo getting a really small – this is not a controlling stake. This is not like, well, when Yahoo took a stake in Alibaba and got 40 percent, this is maybe getting 1 or 2 percent of the company at a – $10 Ten billion dollar valuation. So then they're they're only investing like twenty million. I, I, what is this move? Help me understand this. So this is a small bet, Chris. This is a, a, a little bet that the Yahoo's making. Yahoo's proven that they've been pretty good at investing money. That that forty percent stake that they they took in uh, in Alibaba back in two thousand five turned into almost forty five billion dollars today. So they're they're pretty good at, at finding the right the right targets here. This investment is much smaller. This is about a $20 million stake, like you said, which will be using uh, after-tax proceeds from, from Alibaba into about a $10 billion valuation that we have right now for Snapchat. Uh, Snapchat, if, if you're not familiar with the company already, it typically is, is the ability for users to share photos or videos that typically disappear after 10 seconds, which is a little different than the typical advertising model. Right. But very it, very popular with the teenagers. Yes, definitely. And I think for reasons we will not go into in this <laughs> podcast. Well, and I think that Yahoo is really trying to appeal to that demographic. They're trying to be the world's daily habits, whether that's Katie Couric delivering the news, whether that's you know the uh, 200, million, 200 million users excuse me, that they have on, uh, on their blogging network. But I think this is just another avenue for them to reach more people and get the audience coming to their sites. I don't think this is going to help Marissa... Meyer, keep the wolves at bay. And it's and let's just pause for a second and realize how uh, maybe it's just typical uh, or maybe I don't know what it is, but she 
has been CEO at Yahoo for just a little over two years. She did a great job of turning the country, uh, the company around. Um, but it's, I guess it's just the nature of the business where it's like, hey, look, if you're sitting in the corner office, then quarter after quarter, it's not what have you done to this point. It's what have you done for me lately? And they're really starting to uh, pressure her for a big, splashy acquisition. And I don't think this is it. Well, no. I mean, this this I don't think is it either. I mean, there are a lot of questions with Snapchat that that you know remain to be answered. I mean, I'm not sure exactly how far beyond just sort of that adolescent audience it really uh, resonates with. I mean, it, it's it's not going to be a type of media, a platform partner that something like a Facebook or a Twitter. Uh, would be. And so, yeah, I mean, this is, again, like Simon said, it's a very small bet. I think it, it at least shows that they are trying to to think forward and try to figure out new ways to allocate a lot of this capital that they have. Uh, I, I suspect that you know we, we will see probably more of these little bets. I don't know that if I'm a shareholder, I'd really want to see some big splashy acquisition because, you know, oftentimes those don't really work out. And I mean, Yahoo still has, a, you know, very attractive web property, attractive verticals that come from it and things like finance and sports. Uh, it's, it's just a matter of, of figuring out a way to, to reach sort of that next plateau on the social side of things. We've seen Facebook and Twitter change change that that landscape um, very quickly and I think that Yahoo is just trying to figure out a way to be more a part of that social landscape so hence the the Tumblr acquisition yeah you know investment in Snapchat I, su- I suspect we'll see more of these you know little kinds of bets as time goes on and this is this is classic Marissa Meyer too she's she's making a lot of small bets she's made quite a few acquisitions since her time at CEO and she's trying to offset kind of the declining price per advertisement that the company's bringing in this might be a chance for her to do that to the surprise of absolutely no one, the price of Bitcoin <laughs> fell 20% over the weekend. Um, and since late 2013, it has fallen more than 70%. Uh, and uh, w- why do we mention this? Just as a reminder that when you're looking to invest, invest in a business. Bitcoin is not a business. Am, am I right here? I would I would agree wholeheartedly. I mean, we we talk a lot a lot about Bitcoin, and I mean, it's it's sort of a perspective thing. I mean, from one perspective, this is a very interesting kind of case study in in sort of macroeconomics and how this you know this new payment system may be able to play out in in a you know an increasingly globalized world. You know, think about it this way: I mean, half the half the globe's population of adults is still unbanked, and so I mean, maybe there's an opportunity there for a digital currency or a Bitcoin to, to to be able to play a role in that. But certainly, you know, from an investment perspective, I mean, this time and time again, this is just a very speculative store of value investment instrument. And, and I mean, to, to invest in something like this, it's you're just you're flipping a coin. I mean, there's just a lot. There are a lot easier ways to to make money in investing than than Bitcoin. Yeah, I knew Bitcoin was really really a bad idea for investors when I talked with Matt Copenheffer. Um, who is now with Full Germany, but at the time was heading up our banking and financial services coverage. And he was walking me through his purchase of a Bitcoin because he thought, well, this will, this will be an interesting experiment, that sort of thing. And it was just this incredibly convoluted process <laughs> that, it, that took him, I think, close to a week. And I just thought, like boy, a house. you know what? I open up my Ameritrade account, and if I want to buy a stock, it's really easy. So imagine going through all that work, and then you see your investment get whacked by like 75%. <laughs> Yeah, I should check in with Matt. See, see how it's it's really Although bad. I think I think he, I think when he bought it, it was it was basically where the price is right is now. It? I think it, it, it's basically flat. 
Uh, you can always email us. Radio at fool.com is our email address. Got a question from Mark Nichols. If Bill Gross had bought stock in Janus before switching companies, would that have been insider trading? I'm curious to know if betting on yourself would be illegal. Also, I've been a listener for a year. Can you enlighten me on the meaning of the other side of the glass? Uh, we'll get to the glass in a second. Um, I actually checked with our legal department on this because I, I think it's a great question. Because if you're Bill Gross, and I don't think we talked about this on Market Foolery. Uh, we, we talked about it on the radio show. But yeah. Bill Gross, who everyone points to as essentially the king of bond investing, helped grow PIMCO to the be the biggest bond company in the world, um, and has a personal net worth of about $2.3 billion. And we've seen reports over the last year or so, trouble in the house of PIMCO. So maybe not a surprise that Bill Gross decided to leave. I think it was a surprise that he left to go run uh, the bond trading at Janus Capital, because Janus Capital is not known for bond trading. They're, they're known as, a, as an equity house. Um, and basically, what our uh, our legal colleagues told me was, eh, it depends. Like, if, if Bill Gross was just sort of thinking about it and hadn't told anyone and hadn't talked to anyone at Janus, then he could have bought some shares and that would have been fine. But once he starts those conversations, then eh, then it seems like. Although, if you're Bill Gross and you're your net worth is $2.3 billion. What are you doing? Yeah, I think that would be a worthless bet anyway. You ought to go check with the legal department to see if you can't get a lay claim on trouble in the house of PIMCO, because I suspect that'd be a good book title or movie title or something. Oh, nice. Let's <laughs> figure that out after this. Uh, in terms of the other side of glass, that's uh, we have a, a studio uh, here at Fool HQ, and on the other side of the glass is uh, essentially the engineering booth, and that's where today Ann Henry sits for our radio show with Steve Broido. So it's just, it's just a it's just a couple of big old panes of thick glass. So that I wish I wish it was something more exciting. I don't know if Mark maybe thought it was something more intriguing. No, it's it's literally just a couple of big panes of glass. Um, before we get to earnings preview, thank you to the folks who have written in to try and help uh, help me get a new name for my fantasy football team because it's just a terrible team. From Brian Shields, I heard your podcast last Thursday about your need to switch things up with a new fantasy football team name. What about non-gap champs? From what you said, your team's record is suffering by traditional measures of success, quaint metrics like wins and losses. But I'm sure there are plenty of non-gap measures you can come up with come up with that show that you have the best team in the league. Keep up the great show. Uh, From William Cook, uh, Fool's Ball, Fourth and Long, Fool's Rushing. Uh, And from Jay Winsler, Don't Stop Believing. Ooh, going the Bieber route. You're welcome. Uh, As I mentioned, earnings season uh, officially kicks off Wednesday. Alcoa reports after the market closes. Uh, Simon, as we head into earnings season, what is, whether it's an industry that you're watching, a particular company, what is one thing that you're going to be watching this earnings season and why? Well, it's definitely not Bitcoin, first of all. Right. <laughs> yeah, uh, actually, the company that I'm looking at is CalAMP, who reports after the market closed today, before the official start. Uh, this is a small company that, that gets a lot of attention around The Motley Fool because of our focus on the Internet of Things. They make devices that can transmit data over wireless networks and then be interpreted with software. So really doing some neat things, and I think that there's a growing need for that. Calamp shares are down 40% almost this year already, though, because they really had kind of a couple earnings whiffs in the first and second quarters. But they've said, management has said uh, in their in the previous guidance that the second half was really going to be kind of backloaded for this company. And they're doing some really neat things right now that I think are worth mentioning. They've got a uh, supply deal they're working out with Caterpillar, 
for, divide, for um, uh, using um, devices for heavy machinery. And then they're also working with some of the United States' largest insurers to voluntarily put these devices in your car. So if you are a safe driver and you actually do drive at a, a safe speed, you don't get in a whole lot of wrecks, you can have a lower insurance premium uh, if you put something like that in your vehicle. So kind of a, a smaller company that's kind of a niche player, but they've got some really big potential. I'll be watching to see what management says this afternoon. Uh, what's the ticker symbol? C-A-M-P. Uh, how long uh, ha- or what do you know about the management? Because when I hear things like, well, they whiffed the first couple quarters, they essentially said, well, wait and see because good things are coming in the second half. That seems like the sort of thing that if you say that out loud – you better deliver on that. And it seems like they, they really can't afford a third whiff. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, like, like, like we said, Calum's only about a $600 million market cap company. So they're still small. And, uh, you know, if they do, we say whiff, but that's really, that can be just a couple of big customers not yeah. getting their orders in for the quarter. Uh, we actually interviewed Michael Burdick, the CEO of Calamp for Ruler Breakers, a couple months ago. And uh, I'm convinced that he's in it for the long term. He's not one of these, you know, it's not going to happen this quarter. It's going to happen next quarter. I think he's, he's, he's doing some really neat things. He's built out the Calamp App Store for developers to start building software off of his platform. I think that they're going the right way. You my def- car insurer offered me the device to put in my car to see how we drove. My paranoia wouldn't let me did, do did, it. Think, did your premiums go up, Jason? Um, <laughs> no, they, they, they've, they've been relatively steady. They would have gone down maybe a little bit, but again, I just was a little bit too um, paranoid, I guess. That's how I put it. I just doesn't strike me. As what are you watching this earnings season? Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm actually going to be looking sort of at, at the housing-related stocks in general. I mean, I think it's interesting to see the, sort of this disparity between uh, the way big companies like Home Depot and Lowe's have performed uh, compared to these smaller companies like uh, you know Tile Shop and, and even the Container Store. Uh, the Container Store's earnings come out later today after the market closes. Uh, but if you look at so you look at the S and P five hundred versus the Russell two thousand uh, for for the year. The Russell two thousand is a small cap index. So your companies like Tile Shop and and uh, the Container Store would be you know small caps. Um, and you see the S and P up around seven point four percent. The Russell uh, Russell two thousand down four percent year to date. Uh, and when you look at debt levels. The current consumer's debt levels, it's, it's just really interesting to notice. The debt levels are very high. So, I mean, I, th- I think the consumer doesn't have, um, doesn't have you know, a, a surplus of money to be spending right now. So, it's one thing to say they're going to go get some housing-related things done at a Home Depot or a Lowe's, uh, for example, as opposed to, to maybe sort of a more niche market in Tile Shop or the Container Store, which offer great products. But, again, they're sort of niche products and, and going to be uh, you know, maybe a little bit more on the costly side. And, and so you either see one of two things happening, happening with these smaller companies like Tile Shop and, and the Container Store. Either their, their top-line revenues are, are, are slow to grow uh, or they, resor- they resort to uh, price cutting in order to be able to promote more traffic, which is fine, but that also pressures margins. Uh, and so, you know, we've seen uh, the, the Container Store and Tile Shop are both having very tough years to date. And, you know, I would not be looking at their prices and in, in saying, OK, wow, those are stocks that are really down. They can't go any lower. This just must be the right time to buy. I mean, I think it's reasonable to assume that there may, there may still be some pressure on those companies uh, to gin up sales. So it's going to be very interesting over the next month to see how these all kind of kind of work together. Uh, one of the things I'm interested, uh, you just reminded me of this, uh, to see this earnings season is to what extent 
uh, these companies, usually on the conference calls, start to tip their hand for the holiday season. And obviously, oh, yeah. it's, it's, it's more the retailers, that sort of thing, not, not your industrial-type companies, uh, and certainly not the banks. But I think that uh, it'll, be, it'll be interesting to see if any sort of themes you know, over the next, say, three or four weeks emerge in terms of what people, what companies are expecting in the holidays. Jason Moser, Simon Erickson, thanks for being here, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That is it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Ann Henry. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.